I read a book a number of years ago and I liked it. It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it begins with this story that I've never forgotten. It says, imagine that you went to a movie and the movie is all about you or all about a man rather getting a Volvo. The whole movie is about that. And the last scene of the movie is the man gets his Volvo, drives out of the dealership and tries the windshield wipers. End of movie. Would you admit going to that movie? Would you recommend anyone go see that movie? Would you be glad you spent $18 to go see that movie? No, silly. And yet, isn't that most of our lives? Isn't most of our lives wanting to get something and then getting it? Isn't that most of our lives? A man wants a car and he gets it. A woman wants a dress or some pants or a shirt or some shoes or some more shoes or some more jeans or some makeup and she gets it. (laughs) I have four girls in my house. Oh my goodness. Isn't that most of our life? And yet you could never say, that's a good story. Man, how do I get that life? And for most of us, there is an understanding that life should be better than that. I think the Bible holds it out. 1 Corinthians 2.9. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has in store for those that love him. And I don't think it's a Volvo. Now, if it was a Volkswagen bus, I could say, yeah, that would be exceedingly abundantly. But isn't that our story? It's like, okay, we know it should be bigger and better than that, but it's not. So how do we write better stories with our lives? How do we do that? Welcome to the book of Galatians. So here's what Galatians is. Chapters one through four is theological. And it's really one message repeated over and over and over again from all these different avenues. And I'll summarize it like this. It's like Pinocchio. It's you have been made real boys and real girls. Why are you going back to the strings of a puppet? Why are you going back to stuff that reduces you and makes you less human? The law, religion, don't do that. You're a real human now, act like it. That's the first four chapters of Galatians. And Paul gets really, really up, right? He calls them fools. You guys are fools. If you've been made real and you go back to that, you're foolish. Now, why would he say that? Why would he use such strong language? Because he knows this. If a real boy goes back to strings, he just becomes a slave, to some kind of other other force, right? You become a slave to legalism or you just get exhausted by those strings. I think that's what I see a lot in a lot of Christians. Like a lot of Christians are either slaves to legalism. They have all these rules that they think are gonna work and they don't work. But then because they don't work, they just keep hoping tomorrow will be better, all right? So they start just treading water, hoping tomorrow the promises they make or the ideas they have will finally come to pass, but they don't. And so then this great Christian life that God has for us to be kingdom builders is reduced down in most Christians to going to church and kindergarten morality. You don't beat up your neighbor 
with a baseball bat. Well, congratulations. You're like most of the world. I think it's supposed to be bigger and better than that. So we have this question of like, I, I can feel it should be bigger and better, but how do I get there? Well, that's Galatians chapter five. So Galatians five would say this to Pinocchio puppets that have become real boys and real girls and they don't have the strings on them anymore, the law that was kind of keeping them and there's good things the law can do. Chapter three says that. It protects us and it keeps us, it kind of tells us what to do. So now we don't have those strings anymore. How do we live as real boys and real girls? What replaces the strings of religion for a real boy or a real girl? And what Paul is gonna say is it's the spirit. It's the spirit life that's the replacement of the strings of religion. And that's how you live this out. And it's brilliant. So I think we'll spend this week and next week on this idea because there's a lot of weird stuff people have about how the spirit works. And we're just gonna go with what the Bible says about it. And to me, it's brilliant. So I'm gonna read some verses and then we're gonna talk for a bit. So if you would look down, Galatians chapter five, beginning, I'll read verse one, then skip forward. Verse one, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the strings of the law. You're free. You're a real boy. You're a real girl. Stay that way. And then he kind of makes this argument. And then in verse 16, he picks it back up. Listen to what he says. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. No strings now. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. One of my favorite little statements. Yeah, stuff kind of like that. I got a whole bunch more if you wanted me to. Want me to keep going? They're like, dude, you just gave a massive list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You don't need strings. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Brilliant section. I'm gonna go through some today and then we'll grab like the other side of it next week. But I just wanna notice some of the things that Galatians chapter five says about how the spirit works in the life of the believer. Number one, verse 16, it changes desires. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify 
the desires of the flesh. So if you look at the context of Galatians and you see in verse one, it says, hey, be set free and read Galatians chapter five. It's awesome. In fact, read the whole book of Galatians. In fact, just read the whole Bible, but start with chapter five because it's really good. But if you read this, you start seeing something that he's saying. He's saying, you've been set free, verse one, and then he picks up the argument again. You've been set free because of what the spirit is doing in you. That there's a freedom that comes from God's spirit. No strings anymore. Now, here's my question for you. Is an alcoholic who every morning wakes up in a sweat, has to take a cold shower, has to slap himself all day long, fighting not to drink. And he does this day after day after day. Is he free from alcoholism? I would say no. I would say the Bible does hold out, process no doubt, does hold out true freedom. Not white fist, clenched jaw, not that kind of life, a better kind of life where the very desires, what you want are changed. I'll try to give you an example. So I have a buddy, his name is Shane Skirvin. Came here for a long time, then he and his family moved to Texas. But when he was here, he introduced me to one of his friends, lifelong childhood friend. And we went out to dinner on a Wednesday night, just hung out for a long time and talked. And this guy, unbelievable job. He worked at that time in Baghdad, in Iraq, when it was just, when it was crazy, just absolutely crazy there. And his job was this, to get senators from one part of the city to another part in the city. I'm like, how'd you do that? He goes, here's what we do. We'd have four bulletproof Suburbans or four seven or eight series BMWs in a row. He would get in one of those. No one knew which one it was. And then you would drive from point A to point B as fast as you could. You didn't stop at stoplights. You didn't stop for other cars. You floored it the whole way. He goes, I'd be up on sidewalks, going around people. If cops tried to pull him over, he would not stop. It was go as fast as you could from point A to point B. I'm like, dude, that is an awesome job. I'm like, you should hire me. I already drive like that. Let's do this, All right? So, so he comes back from that. He comes visit with, with, with Shane and he gets saved. And that's why I brought, got brought into this conversation. So we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And as we're just having this conversation, some of the stuff Shane said were so brilliant. He's like, you know, I, was, I grew up in the church and, and fell away and that kind of stuff. He goes, growing up in the church, there was this thing that was pushed on me. Like you have to share your faith. And he goes, I hated it. It was like, oh, we'd go out and have to knock on doors and be like, do you know Jesus? No, I don't want to know him. Slam the door, okay, next door. Because I just hated it. It was such a bummer. And I'm at work and, and church would come up or Jesus would come up and I would just be like, okay, I'm out of here. I don't, even, I don't want to engage this conversation. He hated it. And he said, but then something clicked in me. Something clicked where all of a sudden I could not help but to share Jesus. I just wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. And he goes, it was like this. He said, remember when we were young, if I knew of an island where there was nonstop partying and there was all these gorgeous gals there, I would say, I would call you and be like, bro, you would not believe what I found. Let's go. And we'd go together. He said, that's what I found in Jesus. I found Treasure Island. And now I can't help but to tell people about what I found in him. It's completely different. It's not me forced to tell stuff. It's the spirit 
has changed the very desires of my heart. That's what's supposed to happen. I used to wanna go out and go to the clubs and bars and do that kind of stuff. Now I can't, I can't imagine a better night than playing Monopoly with my four children or going to a Bible study, a college Bible study. It's just your, the very core of what you desire to do has been changed. It's brilliant. That's what spirit does, number one. Number two, right after that. Because we can think, well, it's a walk in the park. No, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. There's gonna be a battle. The spirit's gonna fight inside of you against your fleshly, bad, corrupt, death desires. That's what's gonna happen, right? There's going to be a battle. So um, to try to illustrate this, when you're not saved, the Bible says this, you're dead. Do dead people care about anything? No. But when you get saved, the Bible says that spiritually, you come alive. And when you're alive, you start to care. And the spirit comes into you and begins to battle with old desires for these new brilliant desires. And there better be a battle. So I'll give you an example of how I've seen this work out. I, I do some premarital counseling, um, have for a long time. But the very first time I did premarital, premarital counseling was when I was an associate pastor out at Applegate and I'd done this men's retreat and a guy liked what I had to say there. And so he asked, hey, would you do our wedding? I said, sure, let's meet, let's talk. So they come in, I have their application and on their application, it's same address for both of them. So they're living together. And um, I wanted to address that because I think that that's not the best way. Um, and this happens all the time now. Right now, more people cohabitate than get married. So it's just a, it's what happens in our culture. So I better have some answers. I better be able to talk this through. So I'm like ready to do that. Normally people tell me this, like, well, financially we can't afford it or whatever it is. They always have excuses or this is my favorite. We're not having sex. <laughs> yeah, we live together, but we're not having sex. You know what I say now? Then you should not get married. Okay. If you can live in that house with that woman and not have sex with you, something's broken in you, bro. Don't get married, okay? Because when I got engaged to my wife, I moved 8,000 miles away and lived on an island until I got married. And there were many times I thought about swimming home, okay? So you got problems, bro. Get a therapist, All right? So I don't even go, don't even go there with me. It ain't gonna work. So that's normally the excuses, but not this guy. He's like, yeah, we live together. We have sex. I don't have a problem with it. My parents did it. They're fine. I'll be fine. So I'm like, oh, okay. I said, okay, so let's not, let's not base our life on your parents' history or my opinion. Can we just go to God's word? He's like, sure. So I went to some Old Testament law texts that talk about marriage. Went to the book of Proverbs, talked about it there. Um, went to this text right here, verses 19. This talks about sexual sin. It says, people that do this don't inherit the kingdom of God. Went to Hebrews Chapter 13, verse four, that the marriage bed is to remain undefiled. Like just shared all that, just God's word. Then I said, here's, here's the thing. God is smarter than you. He's not trying to hold something away from you. God knows something about a man. He knows that in a new relationship, if the relationship goes physical, that's all a man thinks about. And a man no longer looks at that woman as someone to know their mind 
and their dreams and their desires and their souls and their passion. And if that is not well-developed in a relationship, then a marriage is gonna struggle. And so God says, hold off on the physical and focus on these other things so that you launch into your wedding brilliant and powerful. That you can have what the Old Testament calls dode, the literal intermingling of souls, because that's what God wants. And so God knows us and he says, hold off on that, get married and then celebrate. And that's the biblical way. And this guy just said, yeah, I ain't doing that. I just don't agree with you. I said, you're not disagreeing with me now. This is not my opinion. I just showed you multiple texts in the Bible. You're disagreeing with God. And I said, that's scary to me. And this guy, he's a big construction worker. He just got mad. He just said, forget you. Didn't use that exact term. And got up with his fiance's crying and they left. And I'm like, I don't know if I wanna be a pastor now. That was brutal. I don't think I like this job right now. Oh my goodness, right? What I was trying to do is this, get a battle on him. Is God's spirit strong in you? Is he wrestling with you about this stuff right now? Because I've done a lot of premarital counseling since then, a lot of same address on the application, a lot of that. And what I found most of the time is this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. We wanted to do it that way. We had moments of lust and yes, and we failed. What should we do? Help us. And to those people, I'm like, brilliant. Ezekiel 18. Man, the Bible says there, if you stop that and start being righteous and living the right way, God says, awesome, righteous are you. And let's recommit right now to move out, move into my house if you need to do whatever it is. And let's do this right so that on your wedding, you can celebrate. Because I know God's spirit's warring in them brilliantly, beautifully. I worry when I talk to somebody and they tell me, I don't have any problem sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't have any problem looking at pornography. I don't have any problem with that. I go, there should be a problem because Galatians 5 verse 17 says, God's spirit should be opposing those things in you. Man, when there's a battle, it's awesome and it's good. Is God's spirit warring in you against stuff? He is. What do I do? Because I feel powerless. This is the next point. Look what happens. End of verse 17, one of my favorite little phrases. To keep you, there's this battle, flesh and spirit, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, there's a little bit of a debate on what it means. Is it keeping us from doing bad stuff or good stuff? I'm convinced from the context of the chapter but even broader than that from the Bible, that God's spirit at work in us, and this little phrase is keeping us from evil and keeping us from sinning to hurt ourselves. And the reason why I believe that is because you see that in the Bible. There is often this kind of, this division between good and bad and God stands right in the middle of it. It's why I believe today our society is not Mad Max. That if it was not God's withstanding force against evil, man, we'd have a crazy, crazy culture that he is holding it right now. Now, why do I believe that? Well, how about Genesis 18? God comes down, meets Abraham, says to Abraham, Sodom's a really bad place. I gotta take care of it. I'm wiping it off the map, fire and brimstone. And what does Abraham do? You guys know the story? He remembers his nephew Lot's there, his two little nieces whom he loves. 
their mom. And he's like, oh, I love them. And so he says, wait, 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 hold on a second, God. Let's say in that city, there are 50 righteous people. Would you still destroy it? And God says, what? Nope, I'll spare it. Okay, and Lot starts thinking, boy, I don't think there's 50 righteous people in that city. It's so bad. Okay, God, hold on. If there's 40 righteous people, would you spare the city? And what's God say? Yep. And Lot's like, 40. Okay, God, I know, I know I'm pushing it right now. 30 righteous people, would you spare the city? What's God say? Yep. Lot's like, well, this is easier than I thought. Hmm. Okay, 20 righteous people, would you spare it? What's God say? Done. And then Abraham's like, okay, one more time. I promise this is it. I'm done. 10 righteous people, you spare the city. Totally spared. Abraham stops. I've always wondered if Abraham went all the way down to one, what would have God said? Because God has no pushback anytime. He's like, yep, 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 yep. It's God saying, I will be the bulwark between what is evil and what is righteous. And he actually goes in and grabs Lot and his wife and two nieces out of that place. Like God stands there. And I believe it's also inside of us, God will actually prevent us from sinning. I get that from Galatians 20 verse six, where there's a man who's going to sin and God just fully stops him. Nope, not letting you sin. Not letting you sin. That's God's spirit, okay? And I've walked with people. Have you ever tried to sin and have it blow up in your face? Thank God's spirit. Because I was walking this, with this guy and it was a marriage issue and he was doing things he should not be doing. And he ends up sending a text to the wrong phone number. And the phone number he sends it to is his wife instead of somebody else. And so he just comes to me, he's just broken, like, oh, no, no. and it, it, it was classic because this is what he said to me. He goes, Matt, I am such a failure. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I can't even sin right. I was like, that is so awesome. <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard. And so I turned him right here. I said, here's why. God's Spirit's not letting you do that. He's not letting you destroy your marriage. That's what God's Spirit's doing. Now I did say this to him. I said, you can keep pushing though. Read Romans chapter one. Three times it says God gave them up each time to worse and worse behavior. God just says, okay, if you want to. Okay, if you want to. Okay, if you want to. But God's initial response to the believer is, I'm going to prevent you from doing that. Yeah, you can push through it, but we're supposed to walk in step with that spirit and listen to what he's telling us. So God's spirit comes and begins to change what we desire, fights against the bad stuff, gives us power to say no to sin. And all of this is to produce, verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. You like that list? Who wants that list in their life? Anyone like, no, I'll take war and anger, actually. No, you're like, this is brilliant. This is what I want. Yes. Okay. Now, let me try to massage one point in this that I made a mistake early as a pastor. And it came to love. It was actually dealing in marriage. A lot of like my lessons have come with dealing with marriages. It's like the, the, it's like the crucible that creates Christians, I think. So um, there's this idea that you can say, love is a decision. Have you heard that before? Is that true? 
I think there's aspects. Like I can choose to be kind, which is a, an attribute of love. No doubt I can choose to be kind. And so I told this, this particular husband who had called me up and we met. Um, he had this big fight with his wife. And he's like, what do I do? And I turned him to Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, that says this, love your wife. And it's the word agape there, which is a very unique kind of love, self-sacrificing, wanting nothing in return. Love your wife, agape your wife as Christ agape the church. And I said, that's what you're supposed to do, bro. You need to decide to do that. And I said, how did Jesus love the church? He died for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. I said, that's what you need to do. This guy looked at me and said, dude, I cannot do that. You're asking me to do something I cannot do, period. I would rather die. Let me die instead. I went, whoa, okay. And I had to think about that for a second and back up and be like, is that true? Like, is there a time that you're like, decide to love and someone's like, listen, I don't have the capacity to do that, period. And I think he was actually right. Because what does it say love is? A fruit of the flesh? My ability? My power? No, it says it's the fruit of the spirit. Like we can, we can start saying, I want the fruit without the root. No, you gotta have the root, which is God's spirit. And so this whole idea of like, fake it till you make it. Just fake love till you make it. Well, here's what I found with people that try to fake it till they make it. They lose it at the worst possible point, right? When they're out and about with their wife and kids, all of a sudden they explode and the cops are called because you thought you could fake it till you make it. I mean, really, do you think you can fake it? Look at this list. So you got love and it's, you can tell if it's genuine, if it's joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good. So right now just say, you know what? I am going to, going to decide to be gentle and patient and meek. If you decide that, you'll be tested when you try to leave this parking lot in about half an hour, right? You'll be tested like, mm, I'm not meek anymore or gentle. So there's something else happening here. There's some kind of work that's much deeper. And here's what I think is actually damning when we say that, when it comes to agape love, that deep self-sacrificing, wanting nothing in return kind of love. If you say you can decide to love, then that actually means you don't need God or his spirit. It just means you can do it on your own. Now there are things we can do on our own. I do not believe you can agape on your own. And it's only through the work of Jesus that you can agape. The Bible says this, the good news is this, you guys are broken puppets. That's what you are. And until God's spirit comes into you through the work of Jesus Christ, you will never be real boys and real girls. And that you require that spirit to produce the kind of life that writes a really good story. And without it, you're not gonna do it. I think that's what the Bible teaches. And so when I was thinking about this, I actually changed the message and I think it's more maybe my life than anything. And maybe it's the, the route the Christian life takes in a, in a lot of us. So if you would really quickly, I want you to turn to Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 36, you get, I think the first real clear prophetic text of what was coming, of what it looks like to be a believer. It's one of the most important, I think, Bible verses in the Old Testament. Listen to these verses. I'm gonna ask you some questions on them so you know who does what. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. 
I, this is God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. All that Galatians 5, 19, 20, 21. And from all your idols, things that you give your heart to that don't have the capacity to ever return what you need from them. And you and I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Who cleanses the believer? You can say it, who cleanses the believer? God. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That stone, dead, cold way that you were, I'll remove that and I'll give you the soft, brilliant, fleshy heart you need. Who does that? God. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you, ruach, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who causes us to walk in his right ways. God, right? It's brilliant. That's this little prophecy of what God was gonna do through the work of Jesus in you and me, right? Brilliant, amazing. You should know this. But check out chapter 37. Follows right on the heels of that and then gives us a story that I think, it, it's a brilliant story because I, I think, and I've seen in my life, this is the way of the believer. So look what happens, chapter 37, verse one. The hand of Yahweh was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit. The word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. Spirit can be, ruach rather can be interpreted spirit, breath, or wind. So the ruach of the Lord, ruach of Yahweh set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. Dry, dead bones in a valley. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And he said, oh Lord, you know. And then he answered me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones. Hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause ruach spirit to enter you and you shall live. So verse seven, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there was sinew on them and flesh came upon them. And skin had covered them, but there was no ruach, spirit in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the ruach. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the ruach, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O ruach, and ruach on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the ruach came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceeding great host. 
What a story. Valley of dry bones, dead, no life. Dry means they've been there a long time. Speak to them, prophesy God's word to them. And God's words begin to organize them and they get connected. And it helps out a little bit. But it's not enough. See, preaching is good. I mean, they can do some good stuff for you. We can write down some notes and it can help out and kind of organize life. And we can, okay, totally helps. Preaching is important. But there's no life in them. And so Ezekiel is told what they need is the Ruach. They need God's Spirit. And God's Spirit comes into them and they come alive. They live. They stand up as a great host. Here's what I found in the Christian walk. Yeah, man, I've been given a new heart. I've been cleansed of stuff and been given God's Spirit. And it's awesome. But then after time, I, I end up in chapter 37, a valley of dry bones. You know what a valley is? It's a giant rut. That's all it is. And you get just stuck in this kind of like, my story doesn't seem very good. In fact, it seems really bad. It's dry. It's a bummer. You start wondering like, what happened to me? Where'd the good story go? Where'd God's Ruach go? And if you read the book of Acts, there's this interesting thing that happens. In chapter two, everybody's filled with God's spirit. It's awesome. But then, after a while, in chapter four, it says they're refilled with God's spirit. And then after a little while, in chapter six, it says they're refilled with God's spirit. And you keep seeing this pattern. Now, why is that? I thought once you were filled, you were good. Uh-uh. Believers are leaky. We just leak God's spirit. And what, what happens is sometimes we need an Ezekiel to like prophesy into us and say, listen, you're dry. What you need is God's spirit. You need to be refilled. You need his Ruach to come back into you and to stand up and to live the way God wants you to live. You need my Ruach, which is what Paul's doing in Galatia. That's exactly what he's doing. Hey, you guys, the way you're doing things, you're going back to being puppets on strings. Are you kidding me? What you need is the Ruach of Yahweh to come into you and to bring life into you and so you can stand on your own again. And that happens to us. And so I'm gonna ask you guys to do something because my thought is this. If this is true of me, it's probably true of some of you. And whenever I ask people to do this, I know I calculate in my mind what's required of you and I realize it, it's a high expectation because it's hard. But I also know this, if you read Galatians chapter six, right after the spirit, it's the saints because they go hand in hand. That it begins, chapter six just begins with, hey, if you see someone that's struggling, that's burdened, you that are spiritual, come alongside them and help them and walk with them and love them. Right after the spirits, it's the saints because we need both, right? God used Ezekiel, a saint, to prophesy to the Ruach that brought life to this host. And we need both. And so here we are, the saints of Edgewater, and some of us are dry bones and we're not writing good stories right now. And maybe it's sin or maybe it's just a rut or maybe you don't even know why. But you know this, the answer is God's spirit. That's what I need. I need to be filled again with God's spirit because I'm dry bones. 
So if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and keep it up. And we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna ask that God's ruach come into you. Okay, keep your hands up. Because here's what I want you to do. If you do not raise your hand, I want you to look around. And you need to find somebody right now that has their hand up. Look around, behind you, around you. Because I'm gonna ask you to stand up and place your hand on that person. Because we become the body now. We become Galatians chapter six. So stand up now. There should be four or five people putting their hands on those that have raised their hands. Jesus, you said to us that if we are thirsty, if we're a dry, bony valley, that if we're thirsty, we could come to you and you would give us living water. So much living water that it actually becomes a gushing artesian well coming out of us. And that's what we need. We need your ruach, your spirit to fill us and empower us. And so I ask right now for every hand that went up, every person that's acknowledging I'm dry, I'm a broken puppet and I don't need strings, I need life. Mankind was created as a dirt ball that you breathe life into. And we feel like dirt balls that don't have your life. And so even today, Lord, may your spirit be filling every hand that went up, empowering us to stand up out of sin, out of garbage, out of lethargy, to stand, to be real humans, real boys, real girls, kings and queens in training. And we need your spirit. We need your spirit to change desires that are wrong. We need your spirit to war against our flesh. We need your spirit to give us the power over the flesh. We need your spirit to produce in us fruit, love, seen in our joy and our peace and our long suffering and our meekness and our temperance. That's what we need. So I pray that you would be filling every one of us with your spirit and that we could go out of here this day and this week, the story that we write would be one of power, one of conquering, one of brilliance, one of strength, not because of us, but because of you, that you've cleansed us and you've given us a new heart and you've placed your spirit within us that is gonna cause us to walk in your ways. That's what we need. And so we're empty. Fill us, we pray. I ask as we come to the table, as we partake in the elements, we're partaking of you. I pray that your word would become flesh in us, that we'd stop believing the lies of the enemy that condemn us that tell us that we're failures, that tell us that we'll never change, that tell us that we'll always write the same story, that we'd stop listening to those lies, but that your word would become flesh in us and bring order to us. And we'd know that we're more than conquerors in you. That it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, you tell us.
that you call us your sons and your daughters and you clothe us with robes and put rings of power on our fingers and sandals on our feet and throw a feast for us because that's how much you love us. May that word become flesh and drive out the lies of the enemy. And may the story that we begin to write from this day forward be one of brilliance. And we ask this in your name, amen.